The Isle of Man General Election 2021 coverage on Manx Radio. Good evening. Welcome to University College Isle of Man. It's Tuesday the 7th of December and tonight we're live with the candidates for Douglas North. Remember, Douglas is the capital of the Isle of Man, the main business centre of the island and the home to the Isle of Man's parliament, Timbald. It's located in the legislative buildings on Bucks Road. But the boundaries of Douglas North mean the constituency includes the districts of Williston and Glencrutchery, part of Garden City, the former constituency of Douglas West, as well as part of Onken Parish. Now, uh, no MHK's. House of Keys was dissolved on the 12th of August. Before that, the MHK's for Douglas North were David Ashford and Ralph Peake. Currently standing in this uh, election on Thursday, 23rd of September, David Ashford, Kevin Oliphant-Smith, Ralph Peake and John Wannenberg. Now, Kevin Oliphant-Smith has tested positive for COVID, so will not be with us tonight. We have David Ashford, Ralph Peake and John Wannenberg. So, alphabetically, David Ashford, why, should, why do you want to be MHK for Douglas North? It's been my honour and privilege to represent Douglas North for the last five years. I believe we've got a lot of challenges ahead of us, mainly domestic policy, particularly affordable housing and the need to reform the planning system. I believe that I bring with me experience um, and a passion to get things done. And I believe that I can continue to serve the district well. I've tried to work hard as a constituency MHK as well over the period. And I hope that I have a track record that people can support. Ralph Peake. Thank you. So I am proud to be an MHK and I would certainly offer myself for the next five years. I enjoy being in the Treasury, I enjoy working in the constituency and working in, outside, in government and as well as outside government. I chair a charity, I also do some work in the environment. So I really want to have a strong vision for the future. It's something that I think the team has actually had a lot of experience over the last few years and we're now in a perfect place to move forward. John Wallenberg. Good evening, thank you. Uh, I came to the Isle of Man almost 30 years ago. Um, I fell in love with the place, and since then I've raised my family, started a business, so in my book, I owe the Isle of Man. And what I want to do is to continue to play my part in drawing other people to the island to come and experience our way of life. Uh, let's start with you then, John Wannenberg. You say you want the economy to recover. We all know why it's taken a big hit in the past 18 months. How do you see the Isle of Man moving forward economically? Well, it's, uh, if I can use, we, we've got a mountain to climb. So if I use a mountaineering uh, term, well, story, we're, we're currently in the foothills. We need to get to the summit. So we need to plan our route right the way to the top. And we need to get the best people to help us to do that. So it's going to stage one, stage two, stage three. We need to be meticulous about planning and how we're going to get there. Now, we need to reinvent ourselves because, you know, the tax proposal is coming along. We need to get clever. We need to be innovative and we need to get ahead of the rest of the game really. Ralph Peake. We've got the biggest opportunity actually looking at us right now. We're surrounded by natural resources and it's something that we can actually harness those natural resources, turn it into green power, it will create a new industry. We actually reckon we'll have 600 to 1,000 jobs created in the Isle of Man. Storing that energy to use when the wind's not blowing or the sun's not shining, store that energy so we can use that and then export it. That will be a new industry for the island and that will help our economic recovery. Do you sense an appetite for offshore or onshore wind? The offshore is, is the place that's much more consistent. The wind blows much more consistent offshore. The, the area size of just 20% of Manx territorial waters. Um, BP have paid the UK government £231 million per year 
to rent that space to put offshore wind up. Now, if we do that, imagine the income we could have, imagine the electricity we could have in the island. We can turn the island into a green energy hub. How quickly could that happen? Well, what first thing to do is we get a consortium of interested parties together. That needs to be done by the end of the year, of expressions of interest, to actually get a, a, some, some interest from oil and gas energy companies. That then could be put into legislation next year and it could actually be starting to work in about two years' time. David Ashford. The key is we need to diversify the economy and in order to do that we need to look at new industries. Climate change is most definitely an opportunity as Ralph's laid out around tidal as well as wind. Um, we also should be looking at research centres. The island lends itself to research and development but also one of the key things is if we're going to create all these jobs we need people to fill them. So that ties in with wider government policy ensuring that we have affordable housing that we're attractive to young people and families because my worry over the next five years is if that's not tackled then we're not going to get anywhere with economic recovery because we're not going to attract the people in that we need. Diversify the economy is, is a very wide-ranging wide term. So specifically, what sort of industries? So specifically research and development. Um, certainly I've been away pre-COVID, pre of course, to um, different seminars. Um, and research and development has seen the Isle of Man as a place where they can actually invest and develop. Climate change is another one. I think particularly tidal startups, we should be encouraging them to enter the island and actually try out technology. And also, I think we need to get the support right for existing businesses on Ireland. I don't believe that support's quite right there at the moment because the small businesses of today are the large businesses of tomorrow. We're sitting on a gas field. Do you think the government should issue that licence for the gas to be exploited? Well, the licence was there with, um, with Kroger to actually develop it. It hasn't come off at the moment. Um, I think we need to pause and reconsider, particularly with the climate change agenda, if that's the right thing to be continuing with. Ralph Peake. The, the whole gas and oil industry are not looking to explore new gas fields. It's, it's quite well understood now that we don't need to get more oil and gas out of the ground. You know, there's, a, there's enough out, there's enough explored. What we have is natural resources and it's turning that into energy. That is what we've got. That's the opportunity we've got. Surrounded by natural resources, let's do that. John Wannenberg, do you think we should uh, go for that gas field? Providing it doesn't interfere with our 2050 net zero targets, I absolutely think we should, yes. Um, talking of that, the, the, the net zero targets, how do you think the voter on the street, when you've been knocking on doors, do people engage with the climate change uh, agenda? Certainly. One of the two top questions that um, and they are puzzled like I am when they see new developments go up in, say, Balasala. They don't see any solar panels or water catchment or you know, clean energy boilers going up. It's just houses being built. And why do, you think the government, why do you think that hasn't happened? Well, of course, expense will come into that. But, you know, versus the expense of not doing that later, in the, in, you know, later on, it's going to be much more. So I think we should do it. You know, part of being in politics is taking the grasping the nettle, and we need to do it. It's unpopular, we need to do it. Well, as you say, uh, you're a, a plain-speaking man. What would you say if you got into Keys? What would your agenda be for something like climate change? What would you say to the... If you were on a committee or in, in a ministry? Well, back to what I've just said, I, I, I would absolutely push that every new development is mandated to do those things. To have solar panels, yes, water yes, catchment. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and you, don't f uh, that you think that should be in legislation for yeah, the new developments, yeah, that yeah, should happen? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And what about um, retrofitting solar panels? Well, it's very much more expensive, isn't it? And it's a lengthy process. You've only got to look at Williston, what it's going through now, and they're not even doing that. Some people have been out their houses for a year and a half, and that's unacceptable. So much, much easier, much more 
organised to do it before. Okay, uh, Ralph Peake, uh, solar panels. Yep, building control regulations need to change straight away, and that's been a failing of the last government. To uh, don't not you feel though that the the, go the 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 public get this? They understand it, and do you feel that you're pushing an open door? They absolutely, yeah, they absolutely do, yeah pushing up the door and it's been the infighting in the council ministers that have not put that at the heart of the agenda and that's the one failing of this government. David Ashford. I do agree that the building control regulations need to be reviewed. I disagree on the fact it's fighting within councillor ministers that's actually held it up. Um, and there's been a review ongoing around the building regulations and hopefully that will come to fruition early in the next administration. But one of the things I would say is with the climate change agenda is we do have to be careful with what we do. I fully agree with what's been said about ensuring solar panels, insulation, but we can be very quickly talking tens of million pounds of investment of public money and we need to be sure that what we focus on yeah. are the things that are deliverable now. We don't want to be going down the route of technologies that we don't know necessarily will be the future. So solar panels, insulation, yes, but going down the other routes that aren't yet necessarily defined um, worries me because I think the climate change agenda could become very expensive very quickly. Uh, what do you think about electric cars and government subsidies for electric cars on the green agenda? So in terms of subsidies for electric cars, I mean... I mean, Ralph might disagree with me on this. I'm not sure electric cars necessarily are the future. Um, there's hydrogen and various things that are coming online. Um, we need to be very careful. The, the way I always describe it, it's a bit like the 1980s debate around VHS and Betamax. Everyone thought Betamax was going to be the future. There was a large amount of investment put in, and VHS ended up coming through. Um, so we just need to be careful where we're investing our money. Okay. I, do, I do disagree with David on that, because electric cars are perfect for the Isle of Man. You can have a range of 100 miles, and that's for, for an older car. New cars now got 200, 300 miles range. Yeah. It's perfect for the Isle of Man. Do you, electric or hybrids? No, electric, because it's only 20% of your running costs. Why would you want a petrol vehicle when you can have 20% of your running costs in an electric vehicle? Okay, John Wallenberg? Uh, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm an internal combustion fan. I like cars. You like vintage cars as well? I do, yes. I do, yeah. And, and I haven't bought a new car ever. So old cars have got lots, lots to say for things like that. I do think electric cars, if we all have one, and we, you know, where are we going to charge them all and who's going to power it? Where's that going to come from? So do you think the government, and, and again, I come back to this, that the public seem to get the climate agenda. They seem to get electric hybrids. They, they, underst do. they understand that. Do you think government needs to make it easier for people to charge cars? I mean, the, what are they talking about on the promenade? 12 charging yeah, points? Yeah, and, and now would be the ideal time to do it, right? But... I think maybe you're asking too much to get something right in the promenade. But I think going forward, we need to well, make sure that the island does have enough charging points because I think electric cars, as Ralph says, it is the way forward here. But let's not you know, demonise the motorists because you know, we have a strong heritage history of motorsport here. We need to look at that as well. Well, as you brought the promenade up, yeah. your, what's your view on the promenade? Um, <laughs> it is... Uh, it's in, not, not very good. We wasted a lot of money there, um, and, and I feel very much for the people who have restaurants and hotels along the promenade. Um, I, I think we failed them as a government, and uh, I think uh, when it's Given finished, that it had to be done and we've had COVID in the way, you know, uh, you Mac cut them any slack for that? No, absolutely not. Why would I? No, no. Get the job done. 
David Ashford, the promenade. Yeah, in terms of the promenade, I mean, they did come up against some issues that were unexpected, as in when they dug down, um, a lot of the services and things hadn't been changed since the 1930s. They found, for instance, um, electricity mains and everything else. They didn't know what they were feeding. But everybody turned knew out that. To be alive, everybody knew that. And that meant they had to pause. But what I was going to say, Andy, is I do fully agree that there were things that were avoidable. So, for instance, one of the things was the times of shutting um, the walkway in front of certain shops when it was DOI was planning to do them for the summer when, of course, people need access and that's the time when the shops make the most business, when it should have been winter. Um, so I do think that there should have been better planning around the timing of when certain works were done. Uh, Ralph Peakers, a Douglas MHK, are you proud of the prom? No, the one good thing that's come out of this promenade project is the fact that there's going to be a centralised capital projects team that's going to focus on anything over £3 million. It's not for the departments to, to work on projects over £3 million. They don't have the skills to do that. That's been demonstrated with the NSC, St Mary's School, the Promenade and now the landing stage. Do you think the horse trams will go to the sea terminal? That's for the next administration. Do you to think decide. they should? I, I'm quite happy with the um, proposed um, garden, is it? It's the, a garden. The lane, well, at the, the moment they go to Castle Mona Avenue. Yeah. Uh, and there, there's space there for them to go to the sea terminal, where historically they've always gone. I'm happy for them to, to stop at the Sefton, but we'll, we'll see what it's like when it's finished. OK, John Wannenberg, where, would this, the horse trams? Many years I worked at the Palace Hotel, and I watched that horse tram come up and down empty more times than I care to remember, and I think it's the right thing what they've done. OK. David Ashford? I think they actually should go the full length of the promenade. I was one of the Douglas councillors that voted for Douglas Council to give up the horse trams. But I think, um, I think it's pointless having them to the Sefton. I don't think people are going to go up that far up the prom to get onto the horse tram just to go up to the horse tram station. If you're going to do that, you may as well get rid of them, to be honest. OK. Do you think the government's got the will for it to happen? Well, there's already a vote in Timwald for it to happen. Um, that was what the proposals that Timwald actually approved, was for them to go the full length down to the sea terminal. I want to talk about the Isle of Man being an international island. There was a question in from a lady called Muriel uh, who said, should the Isle of Man give its 0.7% of GDP as international aid as recommended by the uh, United Nations? Ralph Peake. Yes, uh, I think that's a good thing to do. I think it shows that we're considerate of other situations around the world. It's, 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 it's much easier and it's much more responsible of us to help more people in their countries than it is having that uh, subject to trying to actually get people to the island because we haven't got the legislation, we haven't got the infrastructure and that would actually, I believe, be a, in a worse situation. John Wannenberg. Uh, I think by and large it is the right thing to do but as long as we've got hungry school kids and a food bank on the Isle of Man, I think we need to review that. Do you think we should take Afghan refugees? Yes, I do. Okay, um, you've uh, been involved with the charity for many years uh, for the children of Chernobyl, haven't right, you, as well, right. uh, which has given the Isle of Man an international profile. And do you think, as an international finance centre, that helps us? I mean, bluntly, in terms of PR, the fact that we do good in other countries. Of course, yeah, it's very important that. You know, if we want to stand up tall and be a global player when, you know, when it comes to a finance centre or an e-gaming hub, then, you know, in Africa we have a saying, if you're in a walk with the lions, you've got to... Not pee like a pussycat, yeah. David Ashford. 
Um, in terms of the 0.7%, yes, I do believe we should be working towards that. I think it will take a number of years to get there. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, in terms of the Afghan refugees, I don't believe we're set up to be able to give them the support that they need. That's my big concern. Um, a recent report by the World Health Organization has pointed out that an awful lot of the refugees, because of what they've been through, need mental health and neurological support. The level of support is support we don't offer on Ireland. We actually send our own citizens to the UK when they have that level of need. So we'd be bringing uh, refugees in only to send them away to the UK to then receive treatment, which surely destroys the point of trying to settle them within a community. Would it not be warm-hearted of us to, to take some? Well, the way I put it is the Isle of Man has a very big heart. We're a small nation with a big heart, but we have to think the practicalities of not just how it looks for the island taking them in, but what support can we actually offer these individuals themselves? And my concern is with us not having the support networks in place, us not being able to access the UK budgets for support, including the NHS um, side of things, we are actually going to be letting them down. Uh, I'm glad you brought up uh, mental health because some, that's something that's come up enormously uh, when we've been talking to people, certainly on the Manning Line as well. Uh, Ralph Peake, uh, there's talk of a mental health crisis. How bad do you see it? Um, I, I've got quite a lot of experience in this area. Um, I've chaired a charity now for four years. And, You're um, involved with is Queen. It is, that's right. So I've been the chair of, of Queen for four years and we've seen... Um, a big uptake, to be honest. But what's has that surprised you? Um, no, because of probably mental health hasn't delivered in the in the past. Uh, there's been a lot of criticism around that, and you can either criticise or you can actually get on and try and do something. And that's certainly what uh, Graham Clucas, who was the founder of the uh, charity, and I was happy to support him with that. And that's four years now. And what the therapeutic community model is, it's about helping people to help themselves, so it's about building on the strengths they've got, it's about respecting people, it's about trying to help them get into that level of understanding so they can start to understand what their trauma or what their issues have has happened. John Wannenberg. You know, back in the 1930s, Nicholas Winterton brought out the Jewish kids from Nazi Germany. There was no discussion if we can take them about mental health and the rest of it. We did the right thing. We need to stand up and do the right thing here as well. We sent, you know, we sent people in invaded Afghanistan, we bombed them for 20 years, and then we can stand back and not take them in? That's just immoral. Okay, and uh, in terms of the mental health situation on the Isle of Man, how do you see that? Understaffed, under-resourced, but more, than, more important than anything else, we need to establish the causes of mental health, whether it's gaming, drugs, drink, whatever the case is, as well as much as the symptoms. So, uh, but obviously, you're talking of gaming, the Isle of Man relies on the e-gaming industry. Yeah. So how do we reckon, how do we square that circle? Well, they must step up and do the, do the right thing as well. I mean, yes, we, we're home to them. We want them. We want their tax dollars, you know, but they've got to take care of their dirty London as well. Okay. Uh, and how do you see, I mean, things like the suicide rates going up, mainly young males yeah. on the Isle of Man. Where does responsibility for that lie? Is that, is that a parental issue? Is it an education issue? It's a society issue. It, it belongs to all of us. You know, it's not just one person. You, these are our young people. These are our future. These are our people. We need to look after them as, as a society. Okay, David Ashford. 
Yes, so in terms of mental health, there's been a lot of work going on in the last few years around joining up children and adult services because there has been a gap there between the two services. There's also work going on to split out the autism pathway from children's services because people with autism at the moment are being lumped into the children's mental health service when they shouldn't be. There is more resources being put into mental health. But one of the things I'm very keen on is just engaging with third sector organisations such as Quing to be able to deliver services as well along with I'll Listen because government shouldn't have the purvey of thinking we're always the right place for people. There's lots of people out there in mental health crisis who don't trust government services, don't want to engage with them. They feel much more comfortable engaging with community services. So we need to get that balance right and ensure that we're engaging and commissioning services out in the community. Uh, we're live tonight at University College Isle of Man uh, in the, uh, the Gill building, the new building. Uh, we're with the candidates for Douglas North, uh, David Ashford, Ralph excuse me, Ralph Peake and John Wannenberg. Kevin Oliphant-Smith has tested positive for COVID and isn't with us. By the way, there is a pre-election meeting, what they used to call requisition meetings, and that's Thursday the 16th of September at Williston Primary School. But we're live tonight with the candidates. We'll be taking some public questions. But John Wannenberg, um, affordable housing is something that comes up all the time as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on the affordable housing situation on the Isle of Man? Buying houses, that is. Well, um... There's no such thing as a first-time buyer scheme. I mean, it might be one in name, but there's not, there's not a, a real one. You know, we, we need a root and branch review of that because our young people are leaving the Isle of Man because they can't buy houses, even if they've got full-time jobs. Um, and, and similarly, at the top of the chain, the older people can't, get, can't downsize to bungalows. So the whole thing is just stuck. But how did this happen? Didn't anybody see this coming? Clearly not, which is why we're here. <laughs> um, no, uh, we need more social housing as well, um, and, and we need more bungalows. Um, it, it, it's not a silver bullet, but we need to start doing things quickly. And going back to the first question you asked me, we need to start doing it correctly, as in solar panels and the rest of it. You know, it's going to be expensive, of course it is, but this is our future, these are our people. We want to keep them. Who's going to pay for our social care in the future? Who's going to pay for our pensions? Housing is a massive part of that. And you say... Uh, Young people are leaving the island, and maybe even not even coming back yeah, after university. I mean, I've, I've got two sons in their twenties; both have gone, both. And would they be here if they could afford a house? Well, certainly one would. Certainly one would, and uh, the other one maybe not. David Ashford. Yeah, affordable housing is absolutely key to the next five years. I think it's one of the major priorities of the next administration. But when we talk about affordable housing, and John's right on this, it normally just looks at first-time buyers. It's not. It's across the whole piece of housing. So, for instance, um, in terms of affordable housing and first-time buyers, the first-time buyers scheme was right for its time, but it's now dated. It's not providing what's needed. You only have to look at the amount of investment that's gone down over the years. Um, it was seven-odd million about 10 years ago per year that was being spent on first-time buyers. It's now under one million. The number of houses was, has gone down from 86 a year to 19 so it's clearly not working how we did need... that slip as a priority well i think i think it's got mixed up with everything else and i think the, the problem is it's not been on the radar and it should have been um, to be perfectly frank i think that we need a mix of schemes because the world has moved on We've got to stop trying to do things like affordable housing with one size fits all. We need a mix of things like shared equity, rent to buy schemes, a traditional first time buyer scheme, a traditional loan scheme, and even the ability for people to purchase plots to build their own home. It needs to be a full mix. But equally, at the other side of the market, and John touched on this, there's 
and the inability of people to downsize because there's not the bungalows, there's not the land at the moment for them to do so. We need to be encouraging those kind of developments and at affordable prices as well because people I know who are trying to downsize, they're finding what they're downsizing to is the same cost as the house they're in now, so there's no benefit actually to them. And in terms of social housing, which is also an important part of the mix, the last overarching review I can find of social housing was the mid-1980s. Do you think we should be building social housing? I believe we should. I think the I think the population just is renovating moving. like here. Like I say, that the numbers in terms of social housing hasn't moved much um, in the last couple of decades, but the population has. So I think there does need to be more investment in social housing in terms of new builds. Um, and I think also we need to look at what we're doing um, with our existing stock. Williston is here in Douglas North. Um, there's been the refurb of Williston, which personally I think has worked in some ways, but not in others. And um, people have been out of their houses far too long. There's been people going back into the houses still with issues and problems um, and I think we need to get a grip of the social housing Ralph issues. Peake. The, um, the social housing has not worked particularly well, the, the, the scheme up here, not only for the way people are treated but also the actual bill quality, some, some issues around dampness there. But just going back to the first time buyer scheme, it wasn't that long ago when you, you couldn't actually get first time buyers schemes away, you actually had to change the covenants around them to actually get them rented out. So things in the housing market do change and do change quite rapidly. The opportunity we've got now is we've got a lot of demand, so take that opportunity, use the land that government's got to actually build houses for the future that don't require central heating, that are thermally insulated, that have got air source, that have got um, mechanical ventilation so you get really pure air. Have that for the house for the future and have that built on government land so the customer then doesn't have to actually buy the land straight away. They can then have at least sold at the start and an option for freehold in the future. Where would that fit in within the government um uh, structure. I mean, where, where would that come from? Infrastructure? Well, no, it needs to actually be not in the departments. It needs to be taken off the departments and it needs to be put f as a priority right. to have houses built for residents on that land for the future rather than governments and departments actually saying, oh, we might want that land for a school or we might want this for something else. Get it actually, get houses on it. Do you think we're lo losing young people because they can't buy a house? Well, yes, some, but there are some that actually now choose the Isle of Man to actually be their home. So that's the positive news from this. The Manx Restart Scheme has actually encouraged some university people to actually choose the Isle of Man as their future home. What we need to do is support that by having houses of the future available for them. OK, we've got five minutes until we get to the public questions. So I just want a, a quick whip round the panel of John Wallenberg, David Ashford and... Uh, uh, Ralph Peake, and it regards medicinal and recreational cannabis. Are you for or against the legalisation of medicinal or recreational cannabis? John Wannenberg. 100% for. For both? Medicinal or recreational? Both. Okay. David Ashford. Well, medicinal is already um, legalised, but there's restrictions on who can prescribe it. Um, I'm in favour of medicinal cannabis being able to be prescribed at the GP level. In terms of recreational, no, I'm not in favour of that because I have seen firsthand as Minister for Health people who've had it as a gateway drug. Um, but what I am in favour of is decriminalisation of small amounts of possession because we're putting a lot of young people through the courts and criminalising them for very low levels of possession, and I don't agree with that. But I would not see legalisation of recreational use. Ralph Peake. So the medical cannabis, it's a great opportunity. It also will allow people to get more familiar with it. Then we can then have it decriminalised and then we can then look and have an adult conversation about what we can actually do to licence it and actually make it as a tax income rather than it being an illegal substance. That's just creating 
devastation and destroying people's lives. Okay, I want to talk about tourism, uh, Douglas being the gateway uh, to the Isle of Man. Uh, John Wallenberg involved in tourism at the Palace Hotel for, for many years. Uh, how do you see the tourist offering from the Isle of Man at the moment? Um, you know, I don't see much at all. Do you see any priority from the government? I mean, we have departments, Visit Isle of Man, yeah. the Department for Enterprise, so they're trying to yeah. pitch the Isle of Man. Yeah. Admittedly, we've got COVID, but do you think the Isle of Man's going in the right direction? You know, it, they've had a challenging landscape. I'll not deny that. Um, whether they ignite my fire or anybody else's to come to the Isle of Man, that's debatable. Clearly not. No. Well, you show me any different. So what do you think the Isle of Man could do then to make it, I mean, more hotels, better hotels? Cruise, cruise ships? So, yes, uh, certainly better stock of hotels and guest houses. Um, and cruise ships is definitely a booming industry taking off. My other son, who wouldn't buy a house, is involved in that. Um, and, and there's lots of incremental spend when the tourists come to Isle of Man. But going back to the original point is we need to up our game. We need to be more than just a quiet seaside town. Tim Peake. Uh, Ralph Peake, sorry. Sorry, right. Um, it's about really trying to have everything aligned so you've got one clear message. And I don't think we're actually putting out one clear message at the moment. We've got, as you mentioned, different departments, different messages. We've got a work permit system. We've got um, Visit Isle of Man. You've got tourism. It wants to be one clear message. We're open for business. We want to play on our strengths, the beautiful countryside we've got, the space we've got. It's not about actually just building a hotel and actually expecting them to come. It's about trying to have a clear message to attract the people that would like and want to come to the Isle of Man. David Ashford. Well, let's be brutally honest, tourism's been paused for 18 months with the pandemic. And I think now is an ideal time to hit the reset button. Um, I think one of the things that we need to focus on is ensuring that people can book packages. There's been some work going on in DFE around that over the last few years, but I think there's further to go. What people don't want to have to do in this day and age is book a hotel, then book the events they're going to go to, book their travel. They want to be able to do it all in one go. And I think we need to be offering the portal and the facilities for them to be able to do that. The the Isle of Man has upped its international reputation over the last couple of years. Um, the UK is seeing a lot more people holidaying closer to home, and we should be focusing on the UK market and also the Republic of Ireland market around staycations, um, because uh, as part of that group within the common travel area, and I think there's a huge marketplace there, and we need to be going out and actually targeting that market. Okay, we're halfway through our uh, debate tonight with the candidates. Three out of four is Kevin Oliphant-Smith uh, has COVID at the moment, uh, so won't be with us. So now it's time to open the, the debate to members of the audience. Audience and from some audience questions. First of all, your name, sir? Uh, my name's Frank Shingle. I'm one of the Douglas councillors. Okay, and your question, please, to the panel. Um, my question goes back to um, that you mentioned electric cars. And I'm, I'm a big petrol head, and you might remember I thought about against the speed limit, and I love cars and motoring. I write about cars, but even a petrol head like me has now switched to an electric car because it's so much cheaper and nicer. And looking at the industry, and at the moment, there's the biggest motor show um, going, happening in Munich. It used to be called Motor Show. Now it's called a Mobility Show. So there are big changes on the horizon. I suspect they will come much faster than we suspect, not just 2030. Um, what do the candidates think? What kind of mobility trends should the Isle of Man embrace to go away from just the choice between a car or very expensively run public transport? And should we do more to attract new types of mobility and have them tried out here, like self-driving cars, like roads that can charge a car while it drives on it? So what should we embrace and should we try out more? Over Ralph here? Peake. 
It's about taking the opportunities that present itself, and unfortunately governments haven't perhaps been good at that in the, in the past. We've heard about the rumours about having the opportunity to have self-drive cars here on the island, have it tested here. We didn't pick that up. So Was that a rumour or was it fact? Well, I, I think it was pretty well fact, actually. Yes, yes, there was a, uh, an opportunity. So it's, it's, it's taking that. I do agree with the gentleman. EVs are perfect for the Isle of Man. They really are. And like the gentleman said, I too... My interest was motorsport when I was a lot younger, so I totally get um, petrol vehicles. But it's really enjoyable, and it's the future for electric vehicles because it's, it's as he said, it's so quiet, it's so enjoyable, and it's actually costing you a fifth of what it costs you in a petrol David car. David Ashford. Yeah, I mean, I think we should be embracing um, new things, but I, I worry that these things might need government investment into them, um, and, and we need to be investing in technologies we know that work so we don't end up wasting tens of millions. In relation to electric cars as well, one of my concerns about the climate change agenda is we don't end up with a two-speed society, with those who can afford to do things and those that can't. There's a cost that comes with switching to electric cars, and if we are going to go down that route, we mentioned subsidies earlier on, I think it needs to be quite fundamentally looked at as if that is the route we're going down, what we do to be able to support people to make that choice, because not everyone can just go out and switch their vehicle and change to an electric car. And the last thing I want to see, and it is a real concern of mine, which I focus on in my manifesto, I don't want to see a two-speed climate change society. John Wallenberg. Uh, I, I, undeniably, it is the way of the future, electric cars. Um, but to go with that, we need to have the right infrastructure. And that's the charging points and that's the capability of the electricity to be there. Um, whether or not that's going to be there in 2030 or not, I, I don't know. But, but I think definitely it is the way of the future. But we shouldn't, again, demonise you know, normal cars either. You've you know. said that twice now. Do you think this government's anti-car? Uh, it's, it's, it's going in that direction, yes. You know, as long as I'm paying a lot of money on my car tax, then uh, I should have decent roads. Um, and a lot else. Okay. Yeah. And also, if, you, if we're talking about um, commercial vehicles and lorries, they're hydrogen. They're not electric, are they, as well? The big ones are hydrogen. Is that right, Ralph? The big um, trucks are there hydrogen. There are electric and hydrogen trucks coming, yeah. yeah. But I, I also think it's important to note that the price of EVs, even without subsidies, is coming down. Uh, one of the big mass market manufacturers, a German firm, we shall not name, um, has today actually uh, brought out their entry-level model that will be marketed for less than 20,000 euros, so about 15 grand for a brand-new family-sized car. So I think this revolution that we anticipated 2030 is going to come within your next term. We will need a heck of a lot more charging points than okay. we have right now. Okay, all right, thank you for that. I'll also say one thing. We'll need a lot more batteries and where we're going to get all the heavy metal from. Right, sir, your question. Your name, sir? David Gorn. And your question to the panel? My question, gentlemen, is... Recent reports across government, uh, and in particular the Tindwold Select Committee report on poverty, recent evidence from third sector organisations have highlighted serious issues which adversely impact upon the well-being of our island people. For these to be addressed will require a multi-agency approach involving cross-government working, involving charitable, voluntary and faith organisations. How would the candidates address these? Could you say that in, in one sentence, please? How do you help poor people? Is that what it is? 
how well yes but i mean it's not just no it's not poor people because i think there's a misnomer that those people right. who are reverting to housing matters and the food bank right. are poor people uh, and that is just not the case right. but we have a number of serious issues which have been highlighted including affordable housing enabling people to uh, feed themselves uh, mental health a whole raft of things right. um, and this will require government not just to work in silos but collectively across itself, but also in conjunction with other organisations that are going to be attracted. It's a culture change, and I'm glad to say that um, Theresa Cope, the new medical director at the hospital, she is reaching out and right. she is finding out what the community um, assets there are, that she can start having charities delivering services to the community, as, as David said earlier, not everybody trusts government, so you can't have government delivering anything. So I'm delighted to, to hear that she is reaching out. She's going to map what there is in the community and then fit those acute services above that. That's the culture change that I know David and is I... Is the work. need getting um, deeper, worse? I mean, is there, is there more it's demand for it? It's becoming more aware. So whether it's getting worse, that's a, perhaps a different measure. But the great thing is that people are able to talk about it more, so it's becoming more aware. So it may feel as though it, it's getting worse, but I think the great thing is that people are becoming more aware about it, and that's then you can deal with it. It's when you hide it, that's when the problems start. Is there one single way to solve it, or is it...? Culture. Culture. Absolutely culture change. Wanting to do it. So rather than actually trying to do everything in government, trying to do everything to the department as though you're actually going to do things to people all the time, you actually do it with them. So you actually change your culture, put your egos to one side and actually work with the people who know best. David Ashford. Well, the key to it is that dreaded phrase, joined up government. I've always been a supporter of single legal entity, as David knows, um, because we have government department silos and we need to break that down and we need to work across departments and engage with third sector organisations. As Minister for Health, over the last nearly four years now, I think I've got a record of trying to engage with third sector organisations and bring them on board. We need to, within government, be commissioning third sector organisations to deliver services because they are closer to the needs on the ground. But I I think also we need a fundamental review of the benefit system. Again, the benefit system hasn't really been looked at and overhauled since, again, the 1980s. It's been added to with various components, but I believe we need to go back to basics because there is fundamentally something wrong when we have people who can't access adequate housing and we have people who need to access a food bank. Um, that, to me, suggests there is a failing somewhere in that support system, and we need to drill down and actually work out where the basics are and what we need to fix, and the people who are best to be able to do that for us is the third sector, because they have that contact with the people on the ground, they are trusted by them, and they, I believe, are the ones that will be able to, be able to come forward and deliver the change. John Wannenberg. I'm not sure I can add on much more than what David and Ralph have said, but you know, as long as we've got a society of have and have-nots, is going to be feeling of dispossession by a lot of people. Uh, the impression by lots of people, if you talk to anybody from off the Isle of Man, nine times out of ten, they think the Isle of Man is full of eccentric millionaires. So how can we have a section of society that isn't well off? How, 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 how have we got to this stage, do you think? Uh, you know, how have we got to that stage? I think, I think some people have been taken advantage of, you know. Um, it, it, it's, it's difficult for me to sit here and, and tell you why we've come to that stage, but, but here we are, and, and it's not a matter of looking back how we've come here, it's how we're going to get out of here. Okay. All right. Now, next question, please. Anyone else out in the audience? Uh, yes, sir. Your name? Uh, Peter Washington. And your question, Peter? Uh, 
all three of you have been out canvassing and quite well aware of up in Douglas North, we have a large um, selection of tenants renting from either social housing or from uh, private rental. And you, you're all aware of the issues that have been posed by these tenants. What's your solution to this crisis that we've got with, with tenants? Ralph Peake. Working closely with Douglas Borough Council, that's the biggest thing we can actually do. Um, that hasn't worked in the past. There's been some meetings, but that want to actually deliver needs to be there. And I do believe, new set of councillors, we can actually do that now. The boundaries have now been changed to align, so the constituents for MHKs and councillors will be the same, so it's the same group of people, and it's having the want to actually deliver a better future. Uh, do you think there are issues with um, private landlords? even a minority of private landlords? Well, there will be some issues with some private landlords and there'll be some great private landlords. I think, you know, we can just... What was your view on... The, I mean, the landlord bill got thrown out, oh. so... And obviously that wasn't even going to apply to uh, public sector housing as well. So, do you, I mean, do you think that landlord bill should come back? Uh, yes. David Ashford. Yeah, I mean, in relation to, um, let's, uh, let's look at the social housing first and the Williston estate up here. I think engagement with Douglas Council is key, but it shouldn't be one-way engagement. Government should be listening to the council as well, and I think that's been a problem in the past. Um, I, I was a Douglas councillor for eight and a half years, and I was chairman of the housing committee for four, four of those. Um, in relation to it, I found that government wasn't always receptive. So, for instance, when the Williston scheme started, one of the things that was suggested was off-street parking, because a lot of the front gardens aren't utilised anyway. That was rejected by government. Um, there was a suggestion around knockdown and rebuild um, to try and solve some of the problems. That was rejected as well. So I think it's about engaging with the council, but it needs to be a two-way conversation. And again, I'm not sure that the local government unit sitting in DOI is the best place for it. I think it should be in a more central function like cabinet office where you've got a higher, you know, you've got a higher level of engagement that could take place. In terms of private rentals, there are some bad private rental, uh, rentals out there and I'm aware of that, um, but I don't think we should be tarring all, um, all landlords with the same brush. But what we need to do is we need to make sure that we target those that aren't the Landlord and Tenants um, Act that came forward actually um, actually did some of those changes that did go through um, in Timwald and I actually think that, that going forward we really need to look at what support we can put in place. And David Ashford do you think you mentioned Douglas Council do you, and, and that may be better with the new council but did government take Douglas Council seriously before? Well I think the problem's been there's been I mean my experience I can only speak from my experience both as an MHK and when I was a Douglas councillor is to be honest government wasn't always quick at responding. Um, I remember when I used to be chairman of housing on Douglas Council, we were raising issues around the Williston scheme and it was taking weeks for people to come back. Um, you were putting designs in and then you were hearing nothing for months and then they'd say, no, actually, we want that tweaked. And the whole thing got held up. So I think it's got to be a proper adult conversation with both parties actually recognising that, you know, they're, they're both equal partners. Um, and I don't think that equality of relationship has always been there. John Wallenberg. Uh, David talks about a two-way conversation, council and central government, but it should be a three-way conversation. The residents need to be consulted and engaged with as well. I'm not sure they have, and the people I've spoken to in there, and I've knocked in pretty much all those doors, they feel a little bit out of the loop, you know. Sometimes they give a house for refurbishment and they get the house back, it looks very nice, but there's lots of damp, and whereas before, there was no damp. You know, these people need to be listened to. They, they're human beings, they live there. They would know better than anybody else what needs to be done. And what's the... Uh, what's the um 
atmosphere like it or the sentiment around Williston, as you say, you've been knocking on an awful yeah. lot of doors. Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, the length of time it takes, far too long. A lady in Snaefell wrote a spell the other day, 14 months she's out of hours. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. And what do you as a prospective politician say to her? Welcome home. She's moving back in. Okay, any more questions from the audience here? Hi, I'm Janet Tominy. Um, what do the candidates think? What's your opinion on local authority reform, as in the size or the amount of local authorities that there are on the island? Ralph Peake. It's a great opportunity to actually try and get some of those services more effectively delivered. I think you can have a number of instances around the island where services have been duplicated, not effectively delivered. It, it's great time now to actually bring that in and to bring some, give the opportunity that people in the constituents, what do they actually want their local authority to do? What do they want to be delivered? What do they actually want to pay for by way of their rates? And some of these services can be delivered centrally. I know Douglas tried to do that a few years ago, but they didn't actually succeed in doing that. Uh, do you think there should be fewer local authorities around the Isle of Man? Well, we, we can ask the constituents, you know, do you actually want your local authority to do X, Y, or Z? Or do you want your authority to have some housing? Ask the constituents, and then you can actually get a, a landscape of what you actually want. John Wallenberg. Um, yes, I think there should be four plus one. And I think of those four, five authorities, I think certainly central government should devolve some responsibilities directly to them, um, such as first stage planning, such as road maintenance. Not for them to do it, but for them to be the first people in, in line, so they would know. Uh, do you think the Isle of Man is over-governed? Yes, Are there too many politicians? Yes, I do think that. And um, which, which section of politicians, if you could, would you take out? Um, I'd cut the Legislative Council in half. Would you make it directly elected, or as it is at the moment? No, it's the best system at the moment. It's not perfect, but it's the best. But you cut it in half. Yeah. Okay, David Ashford. And, and more than that, I wouldn't make them in any departments. They'd be scrutineering only, nothing else. So not members of departments? No. Okay, David Ashford. Well, my views have very much been on public record for this for 15 but years. state them again, now. if you would. And I, I, I'm always willing to restate my views, Andy. It should be five local authorities, the Ireland, North, South, East, West and Douglas. That would allow local authorities of a decent size where services um, can actually be devolved. The, it would also mean some of the rates being more equal as well because we would have authorities of a size that included towns, villages, rather than small local authorities we have now that, to be frank, don't have to provide any services, so have a complete inequality in the rate. Um, in terms of centralisation of services, I believe government does need to decentralise um, down to local authorities. That would be an opportunity to do so. One of the reasons decentralisation has failed is because they can't decentralise to all local authorities. Some of them, such as Bride and the small authorities, they can't take on main services. So we need to address that. I brought a motion to Timwood in 2017 to try and get a committee to look into it. It failed, unfortunately, um, but I'm still on the bandwagon for the campaign to actually get local authority reform. Uh, Tim? The problem with that is we're then tempted to tell people what to do, and that's what we shouldn't do. If we can ask the constituents, do they just want their, let's say Balaf, for instance, do they actually just want their count, uh, commissioners to actually just look after a number of small things and a larger council area could then look after larger things? Let's not tell people what's going to happen to them. Let's listen to what the constituents want. Okay, and again, uh, Ralph Peake, I'll say it ten times, um, 
How quickly can things like this happen? Because uh, uh, politicians, everyone knows, everyone's hearing this, they hear politicians promise things, but how quickly could something like that actually happen? Well, you've got to promise to put the effort in, that's the thing. Um, you've got to then get a team of people together to actually get something through. So that's the hard work there is. Putting a time in it, again, is just plucking something out of the air. But where there's a will to do it, if you're actually going to listen to your constituents and honestly put the effort in, and then you get a group of people to deliver. OK, any more questions from the audience there? Uh, uh, yeah, Peter Washington. Um, public transport, free for all, all the time. What do you think? OK, public, uh, public transport, John Wannenberg. Uh, I think certainly for school children, it should be free at all times. And I think looking back again over the promenade, I think a wise thing to do would have been to make it free, certainly in morning rush and afternoon rush for do everybody. You, do you think big buses or lots of small buses? Because obviously big buses cost a lot of money and half the time go around empty. That's right. It's like so, horse trams. Yeah, it's yeah. like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so you say free for school children? Yes, I do. In term time. Absolutely. Ralph Peake. Well, I think something does need to change because it's certainly costing the taxpayer a lot of money and what service are we getting? We've got a service that seems to change every year. Yes, I would actually go for free public transport to see if that works because we want to get people out of the car and on public transport. Okay. Uh, one, one green solution that would be is to uh, bring back light rail to the Isle of Man. How feasible do you think that is? I think you'd be better off with free public transport on buses rather than trying to invest in a new train. Yeah. Uh, David Ashford. Well, as the member of the panel who actually doesn't drive, so uses public transport, um, can I actually say, I, I think... A, do you have a, a car parking space in government buildings? No, I don't. Oh, right. um, no, I don't. Um, I, I don't. I don't pay for things I don't need, I Andy. So you have to um, pay for the But, um, but I, I, think the, I, don't, I don't think it should be free all the time, because I think there's already a deficit on the service and you just make it worse. Um, I think there's more fundamental issues with public transport. The timetables, if anyone goes to use them, they're lots of pretty colours, um, but you need a Mensa degree to try and work out where your bus is coming um, when you've got all the various letters um, and everything after it as well. Um, I certainly, it puzzles me. Um, I think we need much more simplified time scale, uh, timetables and also the fact that at the moment, all the different routes, they go like wagon trains around different estates. There's no sense to the routes that are there. And they try, you know, there's an attempt to force all the southern routes via the airport, all of the other routes around the hospital. Actually, what we should be doing is developing Lord Street and having a proper form of bus station where people use that as a changing hub. And we have shuttle buses running, say, every 20 minutes to the airport and up to the hospital. That would make much more sense if you have a valid ticket, then you can use the shuttle bus for free rather than trying to force all these different routes that actually look like they're a wagon train out of some cowboy film. Okay. And uh, yes, sir. Um, we have recently learned that the previous administration, which was tasked with reducing the size of government, has somehow actually managed to increase its size. How are the uh, panelists planning to actually reduce the number or the size of government and make it more efficient? Well, Mr. Wannenberg referred to this. Uh, waste in government and trimming down government. It was going to be smaller, now it's bigger. What are your thoughts? Well, yeah, as I said, it's a dereliction of duty as to what's happened. To have 520 more people against the backlog, well, against the backdrop of technology replacing jobs, to have 8.6 people employed every month for 60 consecutive months, I think it's absolutely outrageous. And how do we stop it? We put a moratorium on all government hire immediately, except for Manx Care and Department of Health, and then we start cutting. 
not nice, but that's, that's what politics is. You've got to grasp that nettle. You know, we can't afford this. And you'd be happy to look people in the face and say your job's going? Without blinking. Okay. Ralph Peake. Government needs to stop doing things. It, it, it's quite happy to take things on now. Okay, COVID, we appreciate that. Extra staff has been taken on. We've got a, had a great 111 service. And you could go on. There's extra roles being created there. And that's, I'm sure, partly the reason why we've got 520 people. But the way to tackle it is to stop delivering all these services. Why has the government got a wildlife park? Why have we got leisure facilities? This is not core public services. Do you think the government should sell the Villa Marina? I think the government should get out of the things that aren't core public services and actually enable private sector to deliver customer-focused services. So, um, what things like you say, the wildlife park, NSC, Villa Marina, uh, Gaiety Theatre? Yes, start with leisure, absolutely. When, when was government an expert in leisure? David Ashford. Well, when it comes to government headcount and government headcount growing, it's always very popular and very easy to say, slash it back, government shouldn't be growing, and to think of all these posts as being backroom civil service posts of people sat, sat in dark, dusty offices. Let's look at some of the growth that's actually government's seen that makes up those numbers. So 54 are the number of COVID response contact tracing 111 and TNS that are there for the COVID response. I assume no one would want them actually going at the current moment. Um, you've got seven climate change transformation posts that are helping to move forward the climate change agenda. There's 23 roles within the police force that are in relation to neighbourhood policing, etc. I assume nobody would want them cut. And there's actually 105 frontline health roles that have been created in the last five years, including family placement service, A&E roles, acute medical care, care of the elderly, and 18 roles in adult social care. Now, I assume no one is saying they should go because they're all frontline roles. But what I would say, again, is the key to government, and it does need a look at the overall headcount, is single legal entity. We need to have things that aren't duplicated in departments. And one of those is actually the capital project unit. We need to have a centralised capital project unit rather than duplicating that in every single department. And which part of government could enforce or come up with a scheme like that? Well, I, th I think we need to be using cabinet office. Cabinet office. Perfectly frank. OK. Uh, any more questions from the floor? Yes, uh, sir. Uh, David Gorn again. Um, we've had a great debate on national issues, which is absolutely essential, and we need to address all of these things, and we need to look at the economy, we need to look at our responsibilities to the wider world. But I, I want to come to something which is more of a parochial issue. By all means. And which um, is quite an emotive one in certain parts of the constituency, as evidenced by two, three local meetings. And that is, do the, do the panel think that the response to the reconstruction of Tremode Road is proportionate and appropriate to what is actually required. John Wannenberg. No, I don't think it's uh, proportionate at all. First of all, I don't think there's been enough engagement with these stakeholders and primarily Tremode Park people. Um, if that road is going to be used as an access road for a development which they're talking about, then they need to be upfront and tell us that that's what the case is. But to alter the integrity of that road to accommodate people who live in Bride and Ramsey and anywhere else around the island to come and make it a thoroughfare, not acceptable. That road is an integral part of Tremode. It, it's, it's, it should not be a rat run. Okay, David Ashford. 
No, is the simple answer. I don't believe it's proportionate. In fact, I'd actually go as far as to say it's ludicrous what's proposed at the moment. There's a bus stop to absolutely nowhere. Um, there's a cycle lane that's going to be mixing with pedestrians that cyclists have said to me they feel is too dangerous to use. Which actually goes to nowhere. Which goes to nowhere as well, and this is the problem. It seems to be every scheme that comes forward, shove a cycle lane in, don't think of where it starts or where it joins up to, just shove it in. Um, and I think, actually, the bigger thing with Tremode Road is fix the actual road and fix the, road, uh, the wall where there's potential flooding. My, with my cynical hat on, I think this is to do with the development that's going to go on down there, and it's about trying to get a bigger road for higher volume of traffic. So no, as it stands, I don't support the scheme, and I don't believe there's been anywhere near enough engagement with residents. In fact, I couldn't make it to the presentation, unfortunately, because I was only told on the day I think it was happening. Um, but, my, but from people who were there, what I've heard of is it was done as a done deal. It wasn't an attempt to consult with residents. It was, here's a presentation doesn't it look pretty this is what's going to happen and that's not the way residents should be engaged Ralph Peake yes David and I were omitted from that list there for the first meeting which was a shame it's the start of a process but what we want is a co-creation so that's great now that we've got the community engaged in this active travel is obviously a way forward it's not for everybody but now we've got some engagement it's taken that engagement honestly and genuinely and then working together on a solution that's best for Tremode. How big do you think that development should be? Well, again, the feedback needs to come from the residents, what the residents are and what the future are. I don't think this is actually meant to be a backdoor for uh, another development. It is around active travel, but it's just the start. It's the start of an engagement with a consultation, a genuine consultation with the public. Okay, well, we're coming to that time where each candidate will now be given one minute to address the audience, the audience on the radio and around the world, and, um, in the podcast and on the video, and to, to the audience here at University College Isle of Man. Uh, first candidate to speak for a minute is David Ashford. I've enjoyed my five years representing Douglas North. I believe there's huge challenges ahead, and I believe we need a mix of new thinking and experience. I actually bring myself forward not just as a national politician, but someone who can also represent at a local level. I believe I have a track record in both. I've been Minister in Health and Social Care for the last four years. I've not been afraid to take on what some people describe as the toughest job in government. And I, if I was re-elected, I would continue to fight for my constituents and also play a, a part on the national stage. I believe it's important that we do have that mix of blend of experience, and that's what I think I bring to the table. Alphabetically, Ralph Peake. I've enjoyed my last five years and I would certainly look forward to another five years. I think we've learned an awful lot in the last couple of years. The Treasury role has given me experience in Social Security, Customs and Excise and how we can actually deliver a better service for people. What we want going forward now is a strong vision, a vision that includes green energy, a just transition to affordable energy that we can then all enjoy having cleaner air and a calmer, nicer place to live. Thank you. Okay, and finally, John Wannenberg. Yeah, the last five years I've seen this government spend an awful lot of money. Uh, not all of it's been value for money. The last two years, we've all been ravaged by COVID. Not all government uh, support has been there for businesses and people. So what I can bring is not years of experience in the keys of the council, uh, and I can't regurgitate figures and facts for you. But what I bring is determination to get things done. I bring a commitment to all my constituents that I will absolutely champion 
their cause as if it was my own. But more than anything else, what I bring is 100% authenticity. What you see is what you get. And I will work very hard for my constituents. Okay, thank you, John Wallenberg. And I'm going to go to every candidate now for just a very brief moment, and that is, um, how would you exhort people? How would you tell people that their vote is worth casting? Alphabetically, David Ashford. Well, I think democracy is very, very important. It's central to our system. Um, the basic fact is, whatever happens on election night, you're going to end up with two people who've been elected. And I think it's important that as many people go out as possible um, and actually express their view. If people believe that I, my ideas and my manifesto is something to vote for, then please come out and vote for me. If not, go out and vote for one of the other candidates. But if you don't actually express your view, then effectively you're not going to be heard. Ralph Peake. Absolutely. So it wants to be one of wanting to do this so we can actually work together with this. So the constituent has a role to play in this and has an influence. So go out and actually use your vote wisely. John Wallenberg. Yeah, your vote is your voice, and uh, in this case, the pen is mightier than the sword. Exercise it. Okay, uh, now we're at uh, Douglas uh, North tonight. Tomorrow we're going to be, finds piece of paper. Tomorrow we're going to be at uh, the Pinewood in Paul Rose. Pinewood Community uh, for Douglas South. On Thursday, it'll be the Shore in Laxey for Garth. And on Friday, we'll be at Peel Golf Club uh, for Glen Faber and Peel. And next week, we'll be at uh, the Mitre in Ramsey, Monday the 13th. The 15th will be at Douglas uh, Rugby Club for Middle. On the 16th, it'll be Ocean Views in Onken. The 20th at uh, the Bay in Port Erin for Russian. And the 21st at uh, Seven Kingdoms for Douglas Central. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for being with us tonight at uh, University College Isle of Man. A gorgeous evening. I thank you for coming inside. Thanks to our candidates. Thanks to David Ashford, Ralph Peake and John Wannerberg. We hope Kevin Oliphant-Smith and wife Christy have a nice baby girl next month. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for being with us here at University College Isle of Man.